Hi, I'm Felicia, and you're listening to episode 151 of Five Song Set. This is the third and final episode in our series on big band leaders. As I explained previously, when I started thinking about doing a show on band leaders, the first webpage I found had mostly white guys. I knew that there had been plenty of African-American band leaders, which led me to wonder if there had been many women. So we ended up with one episode on female big band leaders, one on African-Americans, and this one, the third, on white band leaders. It's been really interesting for me to listen to all the music for these episodes, and I hope you enjoy the songs I've chosen. We're going to start off with Nightwind by Benny Goodman and his orchestra from 1935. Wikipedia has a lot to say about Goodman, so if you're interested, I encourage you to check out the article. It says, Goodman was the ninth of 12 children born to poor Jewish immigrants from the Russian Empire. It sounds like music was his escape from poverty. He moved from Chicago to New York City in the late 1920s, where he played with Glenn Miller, Tommy Dorsey, and a bunch of other famous musicians. In the mid-1930s, he was on a radio program called Let's Dance, playing arrangements by Fletcher Henderson, but Wikipedia says Goodman's portion of the program was broadcast too late at night to attract a large audience on the East Coast. Okay, this is all background for what came next. Wikipedia says, On July 31, 1935, King Porter Stomp was released with Sometimes I'm Happy on the B-side, both arranged by Henderson and recorded on July 1st. When Goodman was on tour in Pittsburgh at the Stanley Theater, some members of the audience danced in the aisles. But these arrangements had little impact on the tour until August 19th at McFadden's Ballroom in Oakland, California. Goodman and his band, which included Bunny Berrigan, drummer Gene Krupa, and singer Helen Ward, were met by a large crowd of young dancers who cheered the music they had heard on Let's Dance. Herb Kanan wrote, From the first note, the place was in an uproar. One night later, at Pismo Beach, the show was a flop, and the band thought the overwhelming reception in Oakland had been a fluke. The next night, August 21, 1935, at the Palomar Ballroom in Los Angeles, Goodman and his band began a three-week engagement. On top of the Let's Dance airplay, Al Jarvis had been playing Goodman's records on KFWB radio. Goodman started the evening with stock arrangements, but after an indifferent response, he began the second set with arrangements by Fletcher Henderson and Spud Murphy. According to the band's booking agent, Krupa said, if we're going to die, Benny, let's die playing our own thing. The crowd broke into cheers and applause. News reports spread word of the exciting music and enthusiastic dancing. The Palomar engagement was such a marked success that it is often described as the beginning of the swing era. According to Donald Clark, it is clear in retrospect that the swing era had been waiting to happen, but it was Goodman and his band that touched it off. That's not the end of it, though. Again from Wikipedia, in late 1937, Goodman's publicist suggested that Goodman and his band play Carnegie Hall in New York City. The sold-out concert was held on the evening of January 16, 1938. It is regarded as one of the most significant in jazz history. After years of work by musicians from all over the country, jazz had finally been accepted by mainstream audiences. Another page says, The event has been described as the single most important jazz or popular music concert in history. Jazz is coming out party to the world of respectable music. 
I always find it interesting to hear how something that is taken for granted as being important in our era actually came to be that way. So it's definitely cool to hear about how jazz became popular. Here is Night Wind by Benny Goodman and his orchestra.
every morning with a smile on my face Everything in its place as it should be I start out every morning just as free as the breeze My cares upon the shelf Because I find myself with no strings No connections, no ties to my affections I'm fancy free, free for anything fancy No dates that can't be broken No words that can't be spoken Especially when I am feeling romancy Like a robin upon a tree Like a sailor that goes to sea Like an unwritten melody I'm free, that's me Bring on the big attraction My decks are cleared for action I'm fancy free, free for anything fancy No Strings, I'm Fancy Free by the Dorsey Brothers Orchestra from 1935. The Dorsey Brothers were Tommy and Jimmy Dorsey, who both went on to be famous band leaders individually. They started playing together in 1928 and worked together until, according to Wikipedia, a falling out in May 1935. The song No Strings is from the 1935 film Top Hat, where it is sung by Fred Astaire. According to a page on Wikipedia, in the version you just heard, trombonist Don Madison is the vocal soloist and has a voice that sounds much like a stare. I've put a link to a clip from the film in the show notes so you can compare. As much as I like Fred Astaire, I actually think I prefer the Dorsey Brothers version. There's a bit of confusion, too, about who was actually playing on the song, because the same YouTube page says this was recorded shortly after the breakup of Jimmy and Tommy Dorsey. After Tommy left the band, Jimmy became director and continued to use the the name Dorsey Brothers. According to Brian Rust, Tommy Dorsey was not present at the recording session. It must have been really shortly after the breakup because Wikipedia says Tommy Dorsey left the orchestra in 1935, ending the group as most band members either followed him or left. So there you go. Up next, we have Little Brown Jug by Glenn Miller and his orchestra. The song, according to Wikipedia, was written in 1869 and was a drinking song. However, Glenn Miller recorded this instrumental version of it in 1939, and it became one of the best-known orchestrations of the American big band era. So a lot of the bands we've heard here were around for quite a while. Interestingly enough, while Glenn Miller started the music business in the 1920s doing arranging, his orchestra wasn't formed until 1938. Wikipedia says from late 1939 to mid-1942, Miller was the number one band in the country, with few true rivals. Only Harry James's band began to equal Miller's in popularity as he wound down his career in the wake of the Second World War. Okay, so what happened to, to Miller after World War II? 
Miller decided in 1942 that he was going to join the war effort. He was too old to be a soldier and the Navy didn't want him. So he wrote to an army general and managed to convince him to let Miller join to modernize the army band. Miller did just that. His music was used on radio shows and his counter-propaganda. On Wikipedia, it says, In summarizing Miller's military career, Gen General Jimmy Doolittle said, Next to a letter from home, that organization was the greatest morale builder in the European theater of operations. In December 1944, however, Miller was flying from the UK to Paris when his plane disappeared. It was never found, and while there are conspiracy theories about it, that model of plane's carburetor was known to ice up in cold weather, so it probably wasn't anything super mysterious. It's kind of amazing that he made so much great music in such a short period of time. Here is Little Brown Jug by Glenn Miller and his orchestra.
was Grave Digger's Holiday by Les Brown and his band of renown from 1939. Here's a little bit from Wikipedia about how the group got started. Brown attended college at Duke University from 1932 to 1936. There, he led the group Les Brown and his Blue Devils, who performed regularly on Duke's campus and up and down the East Coast. Brown took the band on an extensive summer tour in 1936. At the end of the tour, while some of the band members returned to Duke to continue their education, others stayed on with Brown and continued to tour, becoming, in 1938, the Band of Renown. Doris Day joined the band soon after and had her first big hit, Sentimental Journey, with them. The group kept going, even after Les Brown's death in 2001, and is now led by his son, Les Brown Jr., now, before we go, Five Song Set is recorded under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License, so you can share it but not sell it or change it. All the rights to the songs are held by the musicians. The show notes, which you can find on the Five Song Set website, contain links to all the bands and songs in this podcast, as well as lots of additional information. I'd like to thank Alexander Petersky for the theme music. If you would like to let me know what you think about the podcast, drop me an email at fivesongset at gmail.com or comment on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast by following the instructions on the website or by going to the iTunes store. Last up, we're going to hear I Ask the Stars and They Agree by Artie Shaw and his orchestra from 1941. 
There seems to be a whole ton of articles about and interviews with Artie Shaw, some of which I'll put in the show notes. I'm guessing this is because Shaw seemed to have been quite a character. One article by Scott Timberg calls Shaw one of the honoriest musicians in history. A lot of the articles seem to portray him in a mostly good or neutral light, but the one called The Trouble with Artie Shaw from the website Jazz in Europe seems pretty negative. That being said, it may also be the most honest, or at least the most thoughtful. Shaw was married eight times, including to some pretty famous actresses, and he was said to have been emotionally abusive. You have to kind of read between the lines in some of the articles to see it, especially since he seems to have been charismatic, which makes sense for someone who was married eight times. However, the Jazz in Europe article gives a lot more details about Shaw's life and behavior, rather than just talking about how he quit music to become a writer or how he hates his most favorite, famous song, Begin the Begin. Check out the show notes if you want more details. Here is I Ask the Stars and They Agree by Artie Shaw and his orchestra.
Until next time, this is Felicia signing off on a lovely sunny day from St. Petersburg in Russia. Bye. 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 Bye.